Psalm 100, a Thanksgiving Psalm. Shout out to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord in rejoicing. Come before him in glad song. Know that the Lord is God. He has made us, and we are his, his people, and the flock he tends. Come into his gates in thanksgiving, his courts in praise. Acclaim him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. Forever his kindness, and for all generations his faithfulness. So I've come to Psalm 100, a nice round number. Uh, means we have 50 left to go, um, which is exciting. Uh, this one is the first in a while to have uh, a little descriptive uh, or superscription. It says a Thanksgiving psalm, and um, that uh, could very well be um, uh, specifically about a Thanksgiving offering, uh, which was um, uh, required in um, the book of Exodus, uh, that there are you know, various offerings that are required, and one of them was a Thanksgiving offering. It could be that this is a psalm that's intended for that uh, sacred event. Um, and in any case, it uh, it's a very good Thanksgiving psalm. Uh, it talks about um, how the whole earth is going to come before the Lord, uh, shouting and worshiping and singing glad song. And um, we know that uh, the Lord is our God, but he made us, uh, and we are his. And then it um, it shifts from this um, sort of large scale thing into a little bit more of a small scale thing, uh, although not that small, because it says, come into his gates and thanksgiving, his courts and praise, which would almost certainly be about um, the temple uh, worship. And the gates are, um, of course, at the edge of the, uh, the temple property. And so there's the sense of going further in. You see his gates, you come in, and then you come into his courts, which is the inner portion and uh, you praise him, and um, and you're praising him because his name is good, and uh, because he has um, um, been kind uh, to all generations. Now, as I was thinking about this psalm, I was thinking once again about how we have a hard time uh, making these connections about what exactly was going on. What was it like to enter the temple? Um, and I, I think we you know, because we go to church every week, uh, those of us who do, uh, we get this feeling of, of uh, you know, it's just sort of a regular pattern. And um, I'm not sure that would have been would have been like for uh, the people hearing this psalm uh, sung, uh, thinking about it before they go, uh, if they had read it or, or recited or me even memorized it. Um, and I think uh, there would have been much more anticipation and the joy of being there uh, once you arrived into the temple. Uh, would have been so much more because the average person wouldn't have gone um, very often. Um, and as I was thinking about this, I thought about, uh, um, well, I'm reading Leviticus right now at the same time. Uh, and Leviticus 15 is talking about um, the monthly menstruation cycle that women have and how they become unclean, ritually unclean because of that. And uh, as I was reading that, there was a section that was talking about if you have a flow um, that continues to happen, uh, it's not the monthly cycle, but just is always happening, then you're permanently unclean until that stops. And um, <clears throat> of course, uh, thinking about, uh, about that, uh, it reminded me of the story in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus uh, is approached by um, an important person in the synagogue 
whose daughter is dying. And he says, yes, I'm going to go. And the man says, hurry up because she's, she's in serious trouble right now. And as Jesus walks um, toward this young girl who is dying, a 12 year old girl, a woman brushes up against him. In fact, purposely reaches out to touch him and he stops and notices that power has left him and asks who is touching him. And it turns out it's this woman who has had a, a flow of blood for 12 years. And we know what that means in Leviticus. She is unclean. Nobody can touch her because if anyone touches her, they become unclean. And um, even the garments that she wears, the bedding that she lies on, that's unclean. If she sits on a stool, that's unclean um, according to the ritual laws of Leviticus. And so there's a, a deep shame and, um, and she's ostracized and she's not going to be able to find a husband. Um, uh, because of this, and uh, and that's terrible in that society as well. And um, here she is. She reached out and touched Jesus, Jesus who was um, clean uh, before she touched him, and who um, was well respected. And uh, so many people were excited to see him. And and he was a he was considered to be a rabbi or a teacher. And here's this woman who reaches out and touches Jesus. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? Now, there are two ways this story could go. I think in a lot of contexts, um, when this sort of thing happens, uh, and of course, it's a very rare, unusual event. We don't see this every day, but we kind of know what it would be like, right? If someone who is ostracized approached a person who was uh, revered and respected. Um, sometimes what happens is the man uh, or the person who is um, respected will turn away that other person who is um, who's ostracized. Just reinforce that um, stereotype or, or that, you know, that cultural norm. In this case, he doesn't do that. In fact, this woman who is ritually unclean and he should not be uh, touching, he has a long conversation with her. Uh, she's healed. And meanwhile, the person who originally came to him about his dying daughter is ignored and left to stand um, beside waiting for all of this, undoubtedly angry with Jesus, angry with this woman, worried about his daughter. And, um, you know, to wrap up um, that part of the story, Jesus does go and doesn't allow this crowd to see what happens and revives this daughter who was almost certainly died um, because he lingered uh, to talk to this woman. Well, in Leviticus, it talks about what happens when this flow uh, that you have um, stops. You have to wait eight days. And on the eighth day, you go into the temple and you have a sacrifice. I think it's two doves. Um, it's a small sacrifice of birds, uh, small relative to uh, the larger sacrifices that would be going on in the temple. And, and you offer the sacrifice and then you're clean. So th thinking about this, this woman who has been ritually unclean for 12 years, not able to go to the temple for sure. That would have been completely out. The, kind of the whole point of the ritual cleanliness rules was to protect uh, the temple, um, to protect the, the, the holiness of the temple. So she would not have been allowed to go. That's why she had to wait eight days to make sure her flow stopped. But imagine her joy as she walks in. She's got her sacrifice. She hears perhaps Psalm 100 being sung um, because, uh, you know, if she's offering a Thanksgiving sacrifice, perhaps someone is there to um, to sing the psalms. 
and um, she goes in and sacrifices these two animals, and now she's completely clean. She's integrated back into her society. She is allowed to um, touch people and be with people, and um, just the amazing thing about what that would be like. And um, and would she be singing a psalm like 100? Of course, she'd be so amazed and grateful and um, just so excited about being in the temple. And we don't get any of that. And part of it is because we don't have a good understanding of ritual cleanliness. Um, it had a lot of problems for sure. It was uh, maybe um, something you know we would not uh, want to have because it would unfairly ostracize people who you know, through no fault of their own have a problem like this, a medical problem. Um, but we just don't understand the joy of being able to walk in uh, knowing that you've been made right with God. And we still need that because even though we don't have the ritual cleanliness rules, we still have sin. And we know that um, God, because he is so good, because of his goodness, which is explained in Psalm 100, he can't have um, sinful people in front of him. Um, and so as Christians, we know that uh, there is a solution to this. And the solution is that uh, we put aside our claims about whether or not we're uh, righteous or good. We say that doesn't matter anymore. And we take on Jesus' righteousness. We say, we will accept your sacrifice to cover our sin. And he did it once and forever. We never need to um, we never need to bring turtle doves into the temple anymore. We don't even have a temple in the same way um, because Jesus did it for us. And we ought to be rejoicing and grateful for that um, because those of us who have accepted Jesus and his sacrifice, uh, we've gone from being outcasts, from being people who, uh, cannot stand in front of God into people who can stand in front of God. And um, yeah, I just don't think we're grateful enough. I don't think Psalm 100 matters to us as much as it should. We should be uh, rejoicing um, because we're allowed to enter in the presence of our God, the God who made us. And we, we don't rejoice that way, or we don't do it nearly as often. I don't. I don't think about this uh, as often as I should. Um, psalm 100, it's, it's short. It's a, uh, a relatively modest psalm. Uh, it doesn't take a whole lot um, to go through it. Easy to read past, um, but I think that would be a mistake. I think it's good to dwell in this psalm and consider what it means for our lives. And how is it that we can, even in this day when there is no temple, um, find our ways into his courts to praise him. What do we need to do? Well, until next time, I'll see you then.